All right, guys, we believe that church is fun, and that starts with worship right now. So we invite you wherever you are to join us as we sing. God deserves our praise. Let's go.
guys, we're just getting started. Let's keep having fun, y'all. Our story, God saving us, changing us, He's still moving. Come on. I saw Satan fall like lightning. I saw darkness run for cover. But the miracle that I just can't get over, my name is registered in heaven. That's true for you, come on. I believe in signs and wonders. I have resurrection power. Yes, I do. But still the miracle that I just can't get over, my name is registered in heaven because of his grace yes my praise belongs to you forever come on sing it to him this is my testimony from death to life because grace rewrote my story i'll testify by jesus christ the righteous i'm justified yes. this is my testimony this is my testimony Come together, sons and daughters Ball with blood and washed in water Sing His praise Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father Our God will finish what He started Making us new Our God will finish what He started This is my testimony from death to life Grace rewrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. My freedom, His grace, life made new. That's our story, y'all, and it's not over yet. Oh. Come on. If I'm not dead, then you're not done. Y'all can sing that. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe. If I'm not dead, then you're not done. No, no. Greater things are still to come. Come on. Oh, I believe. If I'm not dead, then you're not done. You're not done. You're not. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I if I'm not dead, then you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe. My God is a shelter over me. You're singing. Cause grace rewrote my story. I'll never stop testifying. Yeah. By Jesus Christ the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony, oh I'm alive This is my testimony, from death to life Cause grace rewrote our stories, I'll testify By Jesus Christ the righteous, I'm justified This is my testimony, this is my testimony
Some of us gather here to worship God for how he's written our stories from what we wanted to what he wanted for us, from the mess that we've made of them to the masterpieces that he wanted to create, from death to life. Now, just the other day, a man at PCC said, I'm thankful that God rescued me from my own destruction and gave me new life in him. And we are so thankful for how God is saving and changing lives all around here. And it's our hope that every single one of you will get to experience the miracle of God rewriting your story. Well, hey, welcome to the online campus of PCC. I'm Mark Tapscott, and I'm really glad that you've chosen to spend an hour with us today. So please let us know how we can best serve you, whether that's sending you some information or having a conversation or praying for a concern. Just submit a welcome card, and I'll be in touch. Now, last week, we made our commitments to God's vision for our church for the next two years to go beyond where we've been and beyond what we've done to reach even more people than ever before. And next week, we get to give our first financial contributions to beyond. And in a couple of weeks, we'll update you on where we are. And we're really excited about where we are. And it's not too late to come with us. I know some people couldn't be here last week, and that's okay. You can still commit to Beyond on our website at pccwired.net slash beyond. It's a big week. It's Thanksgiving week. Now, some of you may have already started putting up Christmas decorations. You know, just last week on the 11th of November, while riding through a neighborhood, I saw my first Clark Griswold decorated house this year, just glowing in all its majesty. And I couldn't believe it. It's the 11th of November. Now, I know some of you will probably get started this week decorating. I'm going to probably wait another week or two. But these two holidays, they kind of blend together, don't they? And that's happening at PCC, too. A couple of our campuses have Thanksgiving opportunities this week, and everybody's gearing up for Christmas. So check out the website to see what's happening. Now, Thanksgiving often makes us pause to reflect on what we're thankful for. And it's a time when many families come together. Now, recently someone told us what they were thankful for, and it had everything to do with church and family. Let me read that for you. This is what he wrote. He says, I'm thankful for my church family. Not all of us have family for various reasons, or our families don't share our faith. It's a blessing to have people to pray with and who pray for you, check up on you, check up on you, and want to do life with you. And he's right. It's a blessing to have church family, regardless of whether or not we also have relationships with our relatives. You see, when you give here, you were part of creating that family. Your gifts support our small groups where people get real with each other, often in ways that they can't do with their own relatives. You also support our dream team, where people are united on mission, side by side with others in pursuing a common goal. Your gifts support our care teams, who fill in the gaps for those who aren't in small groups or not on a dream team. They still need a card or a call or even a warm meal. You see, you create family. And you can contribute to that right now. You can click on the link in the chat or visit our website to give securely. So let's pray and give God thanks as we give to him today. God, we thank you for the generous gifts that people give to you. And God, we thank you for how you use them and, and multiply them. And God, we thank you for this place that we call PCC, that many of us call home and many of us see as family. 
And we thank you for the gift of family, be it our relatives or our church family. God, we are so thankful for others that we can do life with. And so we give you thanks for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So stick with us. We're going to jump back into our live room and join our service already in progress. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God.
Your love is reaching, you're 
Sing all praise, King Jesus, glory to God forever. He is so worthy of our praise. Let's just our voices a couple more times. Come on. Hallelujah to the Son of Suffering. Hallelujah to the Son of Suffering. Tell him. Hallelujah to the Son of Suffering. Yes. God is worthy to be praised. Thank you for singing with us. We have such a great time with all of you guys here at home, wherever you are. But now we invite you to have a seat because we start a new series today. And we thought that it would be fun to do a song that's a little bit different. But as we sing it, we want to see if you guys can catch on to what this new series is going to be about. So here we go. Singing in the kitchen, family, running through the yard, family, going on vacation, family, on the credit card, family, 
song about family, which is the series that we're going to kick off today. Family, singing in the kitchen like birds of a feather, laughing in the rain will bless your heart. They're a little crazy. Family is all good, except when it's not. Specifically, marriage, it's, it's all good, except when it's not. For 23 years, I've been teaching about family. A practitioner of family, a student of family, I've been soaking in all I can and learning and doing family and helping other people with their families and standing on platforms like this, unpacking the Bible's truths about family. I've been doing this for almost a quarter of a century. I looked back not one time can I find that I ever taught directly about the heartache and the pain and the recovery and the new birth that can come in the wake of a family that is broken apart. We always teach on the power of marriage and its divine design, something that I'm really passionate about, something I really believe in, but that conversation by itself, it falls short because it ignores pretty much everyone. And who who here today is not affected in some way by divorce? I mean, who, who doesn't have divorced parents or divorced friends or divorced kids? I mean, the truth is, in spite of the way that I want the world to be, or maybe you want the world to be, people are more likely to be affected by divorce somewhere in their purview than they are to be influenced by a really great, functional, life-giving marriage. And I grieve that. I mean, I really do. 
But it also, it also should inform us. I mean, divorce is a reality that is a part of our lives. And God cares about the reality of our lives. So we're going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about divorce. And before we get into it, a little disclaimer, because if you're uncomfortable right now, wondering what's about to happen, you can take a deep breath. I'm not here to beat anybody up. We're not going to heap any guilt or pile on any shame on anybody. We, we can't rewrite the past, even if you wanted to do that. Instead, you know, my hope today is that we would all hear the voice of God speak into a part of our lives that has affected so many of us. And my hope is that God will do what he does best, breathe life. And since we're going to rely on him today, I thought maybe we could begin our conversation by asking for his help. Would you pray with me? God, there are folks here today uh, who have either had divorce affect them from their past or maybe in the middle of it right now. Wherever it comes from, God, it, it affects us somewhere around us. And so today we're seeking to hear your voice. God, yours is the only voice that matters. So would you speak clearly to us today? You're the God that is able to be in multiple places at the same time. So we each need to hear you, have you sit with us. And we need to hear you speak to all of us. So grant your presence and your voice today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was nine years old. And I will never forget this day. I was in the backyard. I was playing with a bunch of friends from the neighborhood, just a bunch of kids. We had this 70s-style blue swing set. It had monkey bars and some other cool features. And we were just out there goofing off, and mom called me into the house and asked me to sit at the table. Now, my family wasn't a formal family. We, we weren't refined. So by her, her order of me and the way she behaved and the way that she talked, it was obvious something was serious. And so I obeyed. I, I took a chair, and she took a chair next to me, and there was, there was no preface. There was no backstory. She didn't make a bunch of small talks. She just said these words your father and I are getting a divorce. You ever seen one of those movies where there's an unnoticeably wide shot and then the bomb goes off and the camera zooms in really quickly on the face of the person who's in total shock? That's what that felt like for me. Still, as I think about it, it still feels that way. Mom talked a little bit more, but honestly, I don't really remember anything she said and she sent me back to the swing set to play. And from her vantage point, watching me out the kitchen window, it probably looked like I was still having fun, just a normal kid rejoining the chaos, but it probably only looked that way. I mean, seriously, on the inside, behind the laughter and the hanging on the monkey bars, there was an implosion happening inside of me. And it would be years, like 30 years, before I understood and my parents began to grasp the impact that the demise of their marriage had on me. Now, let's be fair about this. At some point, I was an adult. 
And I had to take responsibility for my own life and my own actions and my own behavior. I couldn't blame everything on them. But in order to get to that point, I had to understand why I was so messed up. Mom and dad, a phrase my kids throw around and don't even think about it, it's rolled off the tongue for them. But for me, I haven't really said that phrase since that day. Mom and dad, they seemed to love each other one day and hate each other the next day and barely tolerate each other for the next several decades for the sake of their three boys. The struggle for somebody like me was that it looked like they kind of moved on, but I got stuck, and I didn't even know it because we didn't talk about it, because we don't talk about it, but we should. So let's do it. Let's, let's talk about it. Nobody gets married planning for the marriage to end. In fact, those of us who are followers of Jesus, whether casual or devoted, we often have Jesus' own words quoted at our wedding. You might not have known these were Jesus' words, but he's the one that said this, this right here. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. Jesus' words, which you might not have known, and you might also not know that this right here is a part of a larger conversation, one that seemed innocent. It begins like a normal, legit question, but it's really not. Before this comes this. Some Pharisees came and tested Jesus by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, the person who wrote this part of the Bible is a guy named John Mark. We know him as simply Mark. And his is the shortest of the four accounts of Jesus' life, what we call the Gospels in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark is a fast-paced book. Doesn't take long to read, he go, and it's pretty exciting. He goes quickly from one scene to the next, and the way he gets there quickly is he leaves out lots of details. But right here, Mark slows down a bit, and he clues us in to what's really happening. When he says, some Pharisees, he's telling us that this, people, this group of people that are asking Jesus this question, they're not playing fair. They're fighting dirty. They're not Jesus' friends. And they're not really trying to learn. They're setting a trap. Before we even get to whatever their question is, just by their title, the title of Pharisees, we already know this. And just in case we miss the subtle clue that Mark drops, he tells it to us clearly, saying that some Pharisees came and tested Jesus. And they asked this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? Jesus replied, and they said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because of your hearts, because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law, Jesus replied. So listen, everybody in Judaism understood that divorce was permissible. It was really a silly question, is, is it lawful? And by the way, they're not asking about civil law. They're asking about religious law. And since the Pharisees were Jewish, and since Jesus was Jewish, they both knew full well that first century Judaism allowed for divorce, even required it in some situations. But they ask Jesus this question because they wonder what they really do, what they really are hoping for 
is that Jesus will get himself in trouble. They're really hoping that he will say something about the religious law that contradicts with the civil law and the Romans will come and have and take issue with Jesus. That's really what they're hoping for. Whatever the actual outcome, this is a trap. But Jesus, if you know anything about him, you know that he's smarter than his enemies and like he often does, he answers their question with a question. Well, what did Moses say? And they reply, well, Moses, Moses said it's cool. Moses said we could do it. The reference here to Moses, I want you to catch this, the reference here to Moses is a reference to the first five books of the Bible, the, the Bible that you have access to. In Jewish tradition, we call that the Torah, or the law, or the law of Moses, or simply Moses. All those are interchangeable. So Moses says it's okay. The law says divorce is okay, they say. And when they say that, they're thinking of Deuteronomy 24, which you can look up later if you'd like. And Deuteronomy 24 spells out both permission and procedure for a Jewish divorce. And J Jesus brilliantly, he doesn't reject that law. What he does is recasts it. He says, well, yes, Moses allowed for divorce, but it was a concession to human sin. It was certainly not a requirement. Now, what Jesus is saying is the law is making the best of a bad situation. Deuteronomy, which is what you guys are thinking about, that gives a concession from Moses. But if you look before that, if you go to Genesis, you get the intention from God. One is a concession from Moses, one is the intention from God. And that, what comes next, is our famous wedding text. So, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so Jesus lays it out. Marriage is the sacred union of one man and one woman, the two become one. They leave their family behind, and the new family that is created takes priority over all other allegiances except the one to God himself, because God himself is the one that puts this couple together, and what God puts together, Jesus said, no one should separate. That's the intent. So before we can say anything else about divorce and its aftermath and its recovery and the new life that can come later on, before we can get to all that, we have to feel the weight of what Jesus is saying here. The Pharisees want to talk about acceptable reasons for divorce. Jesus wants to talk about the sanctity of marriage itself. They want to talk about when marriage can be broken. Jesus wants to talk about why it shouldn't. So to all the, I hope to be married one day folks, aka the single people who are here today and all of our campuses, listen, Marriage is really important, and you, you need to be as prepared as possible for it, which is why I cannot encourage you enough to do pre-marriage counseling before you get married. It will give you tools that you'll need after you get married. You won't know that you'll need them, but trust me, I've been married for 32 years. You will need them, and, and premarital counseling helps identify some occasional, rare, but still crucial, critical, major red flags. And you want to know about them before you get married. I always tell couples that are about to get married, hey, listen, the best time for the divorce is before the wedding. <laughs> I'm not really kidding. <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. 
Engagements usually travel all their way to the wedding, but still, you want to know. Parents, give your kids the gift of premarital guidance. Really, I paid for this as a wedding gift to each of my children before they got married. It's worth every penny. So now, married, married folks, this is really important. Divorce costs more than you think. It costs more on your family. It costs more on your finances. It costs more on yourself. And it's not God's plan A. But sometimes, sometimes, plan B is all you've got. I mean, you didn't go into marriage with the thought of divorce, but divorce came anyway. And you find yourself in a place that you never thought you'd be. And in the autopsy, maybe there are plenty of places to assign blame. Maybe your ex-spouse exploited your trust, violated the vow. Or maybe you did. Or maybe there was addiction or abuse or neglect or a thousand other things. But however you got here, you are here, like it or not. And like it or not, there is collateral damage as the two became one and then takes it all apart to become two again. I don't care how carefully you do it or how amicable you are in the process, which is rare, by the way. There are always wounds that come from divorce. And some of them are deep. For me, as somebody who spent the second half of my childhood and a great deal of my adult life going through divorce, it was brutal. And my wounds were covered up and hidden behind everybody else's more obvious and exposed pain, but the wounds were there. And they were there for my parents, too. Mom spent a good portion of the rest of her life struggling with regret, dad, with the bitterness of her leaving. And my grandparents, trying to care for their own kid and, and their grandkids along the way, and my parents' friends choosing sides, and my brothers dealing with abandonment disguised by addiction, and me, with fear becoming my most constant companion. My fear was defined by a life motto that I took into every relationship, most especially my own marriage. That motto, people who say they love you, leave you. People who say they love you, leave you. My dysfunction was so pervasive that it took a mental meltdown for me to be able to see it, to put it in front of me. And so after months of tears through hundreds of hours of counseling, one hour at a time, I finally sobbed these words out loud. I said, I feel like such a child. And that's when Dr. Graham set his notebook aside, put his feet on the floor, and leaned up in his chair. He looked me in the eye and he said, you are a child. You're a nine-year-old child who made sense 
of the world the best way you could. And now we're going to rewire the way that, we, the way that you see the world. We're going to rewire the way you see the world. That was one of the most defining moments in my life. It was the moment that healing began from a wound that started nearly three decades at that time earlier. A wound that was still open, not just for me, but for my whole family. Nobody had recovered. Not my mom, not my dad, not my brothers, not me. But what happened next? It breathed life, not just for me personally, but for other people around me too. And I think the journey of recovery might help you too. So let me share with you some of what I did and its foundation in biblical truth. The first thing I had to do was I had to allow the examination. I had to allow the examination. The psalmist wrote it like this. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. By the way, my life would have been, would have been defined by anxiety, anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So whether you're the one who got divorced or you're part of the family that was close to it or part of the friend group that was affected by it, an examination of your heart, that's critical for healing. And I'm not talking about an autopsy on the deceased marriage. That's where people determine the cause of death so that they can blame someone. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your heart. Because whatever your proximity was to the divorce, you had some shrapnel come your way. An autopsy is for something that's dead. You're not. What you need is an examination of your heart. And here's the shocking, painful truth of it all. My refusal to allow this examination to happen as I became an adult, as I had a family of my own, my refusal to allow my own examination to take place, it created new pain that I caused on my family. Because my parents' divorce was not my fault, but my unwillingness to deal with it, it was my fault. So take this prayer from the psalmist and make it your prayer. Make these words your words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Part of what God showed me that was hindering my own health, that it was hindering me, it was hindering my family, Part of what God showed me when I asked him to search my heart was that I had a withhold. A withhold is anything that I need to say or you need to hear. We use this language a lot. Even around here in the hallways of PCC, we end lots and lots of conversations and meetings with, do you have any withholds? A withhold is anything you need to say or I need to hear. And listen, withhold, well, withhold is bad for a relationship. It's bad. It's kind of like a secret and secrets bind anxiety and family systems. The power of the secret is in the fact that there is one, and the way you get your power back is to expose it. So you share the withhold instead of holding on to it. 
Jesus one time said, if your brother or sister sins or sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. In other words, if I could paraphrase the sentiment of Jesus here, he's saying if you have a withhold, go to that person and talk to them about it. Or simply put, we could say, expose the withhold. Expose the withhold. Now, for me specifically, there were some things that I needed to say to my mom, and there were some things that I needed to say to my dad, not to hurt them. So it's not revenge or anything like that, but to help me find healing. Because their divorce was so terribly ugly. And I, I watched them fight physically with each other. But the war of words, that was way worse than the physical throwdowns. Far worse. And we had never talked about it. I, no one ever talked about it. I just wanted to run from it, which I did, by the way. I left high school a year early, went to college a year early when I was 17 and two hours from home to get away from it all. But I am sorry to say, you carry that junk with you when you run from it. It doesn't stay back there. And so I realized with Dr. Graham's help that I just, I had to talk to both of them. I had to unpack some of this and ask some questions, not to beat them up, but to expose the withhold, to get the stuff on the table. So I did it. I met with my dad one day. We met for breakfast and I sobbed for three hours and it was, harder. it was harder to get up the courage to go talk to my mom because she'd already beat herself up for decades. I didn't want to hurt her. At first, I told, I told my counselor, I'm, not, I'm just not doing it. But Dr. Graham kept reminding me how important this was, and so I did. I met with her, and we cried together, and let me tell you what happened next. Soon after those two conversations that I had with each of my parents, which were incredibly healing for me, soon after that, we had a Thanksgiving dinner at my house. And to everyone's shock, my mom and my dad both sat at the same table and shared a meal together for the first time in 30 years. Now, they weren't best friends but something had clearly happened. A reset in our whole family had taken place. And from that day until the day my mom died last year, the two of them got along. I was very close with both of them, still very close with my dad. I would call my mom three or four times a week, and she would start to say things like, oh, I talked to your dad today, which is so strange. <laughs> or I would talk to my mom. My dad and he would say, your mom called this morning. And I would say, huh? <laughs> These two people who I, I loved but hated each other found a new way to relate. And the hate seemed to fade. Exposing a withhold has healing power for not just you, but people around you. Now, your story might go differently. And, and if it's not received well, if you share withhold, you should be kind and respectful, even as you reveal your own pain, but you should do it because you release the damaging power of the withhold when you stop holding on to it. 
There's one more piece I want to share in this process. There's a lot more to it, of course, but we've, we've really only got time for one more today. I've done a follow-up video uh, that's easy to find on our website where I, I unpack these a little more. You might want to check that out. But after you allow the examination, which only you can do, and after you expose the withhold, the last piece is you have to grant forgiveness. Now, I've done whole teachings on this subject, and there's a lot of scripture about it, and there are books that have been written about it, so I'm not trying to oversimplify it. It's complicated, forgiveness is hard, and I really do get it. Some people here today, not all of us, of course, but some of us today, we could recite what we've come to call the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There you go. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The word trespass means sin. It's a prayer that says, God, forgive us of our sins against you, and we will forgive others their sins against me. Do you know that two verses after Jesus gave us those words, he says this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I know that there are people here today who a few minutes ago when I started this conversation, you checked out thinking about your own stuff. It's okay, I get it. Listen, if that's you, check back in. Listen, you can't get healthy without forgiveness. And when it comes to divorce, there's plenty of forgiveness needed. Forgiveness of your ex for what they did, what they said, the pain that they inflicted. Forgiveness of your parent or your parents for the carnage of it all. Forgiveness of your son or daughter who might not even know that you were in pain because their marriage imploded. And forgiveness of yourself. When I meet with people who've gone through divorce, I, I find that self-forgiveness is almost always an issue and it's almost always one of the hardest things to do. Eventually, my dad forgave my mom. And my mom forgave herself. And I forgave both of them. And that's when the real healing started to happen. I mean, forgiveness was the critical component that allowed the wound to finally close. Now, the scar remains, of course. But the damage stopped spreading when forgiveness was granted. Other relationships started mending, and my soul finally found some peace about it all. Forgiveness is both a decision that you make and a process that you go through. It's a decision you make and a process that you go through. Both are required, both take time, but neither happens by accident. It requires intent. It's hard, for sure. But people around you will, think, will thank you because, listen, true forgiveness cannot coexist with bitterness. 
They can't coexist. Forgiveness replaces bitterness. And everybody wins. Divorce is not God's plan A, but it happens. And God is pretty amazing at plan B. He is. And we can get there. You can get there. When you will allow the examination to happen and expose the withholds and grant forgiveness. Don't let the divorce that happened to you or around you become the defining characteristic of your life. Use these tools through the power of God and you can get there. Let me invite you to pray with me. God, so many today here have been affected by divorce. And however we got here, our prayer today, God, is that we would lean completely on you for your goodness, for your restoration, for the pathway to peace in spite of it all. Help us be people that allow you to search our hearts, that we could expose our withholds, and above all, through it all, that we might grant forgiveness of others and of ourselves. Help us to live fully into plan B. And thank you for being really good at that. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said, amen. As Brian just said, don't let divorce become the defining characteristic. We're here to help you in taking steps away from that. If you'd like to pray with someone right now, you can click the request prayer button on the page or in the chat. We've also put together a resources page on our website where you can find more teaching and information as well as ways you can reach out to our pastoral staff to set up some time to talk. And you can always feel free to contact me by email at mark.tapscott at pccwired.net. May you feel God leading you forward this week. Thanks for being here and we'll see you next week as we continue the Family Matters series. Lean on me, and brother, I will lean on you. There's nothing.